When I first started this uh, series on Jonah a few weeks ago, I asked you what you would do if your phone rang and you received a call like this, unknown call. And pretty much unanimously, everybody indicated I would reject the call. We have grown very skeptical. We know about scams and all that kind of stuff, so we tend to reject them. In fact, my phone, uh, just if it's an unknown caller, it'll immediately send it to voicemail. If it's important enough, they'll leave me a message. Now suppose, suppose you receive a different call. Suppose your phone rings and it says, God. Now let's suppose again that it is actually the Lord God Almighty ringing you up. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, in his book, Pursuing Justice, Ken Whitsmith tells the following story about an African Christian leader who spent uh, 15 years of his life and more helping some of the most vulnerable people in the world. Whitsmith writes, he was born and raised in what was, is one of the most war-torn regions of the globe today, eastern Congo. His life is regularly threatened, and he faces the seemingly impossible task of trying to restore villages decimated by all kinds of abuse, plunder, murder. Some visiting executives from a large, well-known global relief society was returning the region. They noticed what an effective job my friend was doing and offered him a position as the leader of their Congo operations. And he quickly turned them down. And Whitman says, on paper, it was the kind of offer you can't refuse. It's higher pay, more security, great influence. It was a dream promotion for most Westerners. But he refused for a simple reason. And his friend said, God gave me the job I had. He's helped me build the relationships and the respect that I have. He has opened the door for me all these years and kept me safe on every trip out into the bush. I'm right where God has called me to be. So why would I go anywhere else? I don't just want to do good. I want to be where God wants me to be. My response to that story is, oh God, almighty God, how, how great it would be, how wonderful, how magnificent if American believers had that kind of heart. I want to be wherever God wants me to be. I want to do what God wants me to do. And so we turn to Jonah. Because he's going to get a chance again. Because a call's going to come. And this time it will be an accepted call. Jonah 3, 1 through 4. If you'd stand as we hear the word of the Lord together. The word says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city and the visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. God bless his reading of his word. You may be seated. So right off the bat, right off the bat, we understand in our text, Jonah obeyed 
God's call to Nineveh. The second time. Jonah obeyed. That's what this text is all about. And I believe that the only proper response in our lives when God is calling us to some form of service, to some form of action, the only proper response as his children is yes. Now, I could spend the entire morning just looking at Jonah's story and saying, this is what happened to Jonah. Amen. Let's go home. And you know I'm not going to do that. Because I believe we need to realize, folks, I really mean this. We need to realize that each one of us here, if you know Christ, each one of us here has a call to yield ourselves to the purposes of God. So we're going to take a look at what Jonah's story means in our lives. And right off the bat, the very first, we're going to start with ABC, okay? Very first, we need to be willing to hear the call of God. We need to be willing to hear it, to listen to what God is saying, where God is directing. Because if we don't hear, how will we be able to do? So if we keep our mind filled with all kind of noise except the Lord, we'll go blissfully on our way into disobedience. Now, I want you to notice, I hope you notice, when God gave Jonah the call, it was without comment on Jonah's disobedience. God reissued his call to the prophet. Folks, God is so much not like us, wouldn't you agree? If I fail you, you may forgive me, but if I fail you badly enough, you're going to let me know you blew it, Danny. You really blew it, brother. You just messed up. God doesn't do that. He simply calls to Jonah. Go to Nineveh and speak to that city what I tell you to say. And this is surely an indication uh, that God had truly forgiven the prophet. This prophet who had tried to run away, God has forgiven completely and totally. And he's not going to bring up the past. In his omniscience, in his all-knowing nature, the Lord surely knew that Jonah's heart was not completely in this mystery. We find out about that very clearly in the fourth chapter. But God received the repentance that Noah prayed and, and sought God's face. He received that commitment, I will honor the vow that I give to the Lord. And God said, okay, I'm giving you this chance. Now, chapter 3, verse 1 is virtually identical to chapter 1, 1. And it begins, the word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And this is, this is a model. You will find it in so many of the prophets of the Old Testament. It's God's way of saying, I have a message to give to you that you are to give to other people. It is the way God says, I am going to give you your chance. Go to Nineveh. And tell them what I tell you to say. Dr. Billy K. Smith, one of my professors I really love, Frank Page, that I've never met, pointed out Jonah was given a second chance, no doubt. But they pointed out that there are a lot of people in the scripture who never received that second chance. There are a lot of people whose sin was so blatantly arrogant and so far away from what God wanted 
that they weren't given that second chance to start over. King Saul is a primary example. He sinned against God in many different ways. In the final blow, he, he did not listen to God's word. When God said, I want you to destroy everything, take no plunder, take no human captives. And he did it all. And he excused the taking of the sheep and the oxen because we wanted to give a sacrifice. And a good old prophet Samuel said, to obey is better than sacrifice, to hearken in the fat of lambs. But still we have a possibility here, a second chance. And that provides hope. Augustine once wrote that there's only one deathbed conversion in Scripture. Did you know that? Only one deathbed. Someone, just as they are about to die, receives Christ. And it was the thief on the cross. Now Augustine said, there is one deathbed conversion so that we don't lose hope. That, that possibly at the very end of life there can be a change and a conversion. But then he said there is only one deathbed conversion so we don't presume that we have to the very last second of life. Jonah had this next chance. And God's sovereignty insisted on the accomplishment of his will. You see, this prophet's arrogance and pride, thinking he could run away from God, was not going to keep God from fulfilling his purpose. And God's love for that prophet was so powerful, he wasn't going to let his prophet go. So he reaches to him and pulls him back in and says, go for me. Now there is one minor change in the message. You may not even have noticed it. In chapter 1, God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach against the city. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to the city. And that may be a minor issue. And it may have no importance whatsoever. But I believe that it hinted at the very least that this was not a, an act of there's judgment coming and nothing can stop it to a word of warning for Nineveh. And that's what Jonah knew or understood, wasn't it? Because in the fourth chapter, he says, I knew you were going to forgive them. He gives them a warning. And God is not only going to give Jonah a second chance, but we know he gives Nineveh a second chance. Now what does this have to do with us? Regardless of past failures, we need to open our hearts to God's plan. See, sometimes the guilt of what we've done in the past and the way we failed causes us to stumble on our way back to God. God can't trust me. When I was young, he... He called on my heart. He put a burden on my heart and I, I ignored it. God can't ever use me. But you know the wonderful thing about God, the Word of God tells us He does not hold on to our failures. When we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As far as the east is from the west, and I want somebody to define for me in a way that isn't connected by maps and human logic. Where does the east end and the west begin? 
God removes it completely. So if we have fallen, the book of Jonah gives us hope that God can use us in spite of our past failures. Now you may not be a fan of the periodical The Huffington Post, but I'm going to ask you for just a moment to listen to what is one of the most beautiful stories I've ever heard about a second chance. It talks about, the article talks about a church in Honolulu called Blue Water Mission. And this small church started a restaurant they called Seed. You know, it's in planting seed for the Lord. And Seed gives a second chance at work in life. And the article focused on one woman. Her name was Mary Nelson. She started working at uh, Seed about a year before the article was published. And it was the only second job this 53-year-old woman had ever had. You see, at the age of 14, Nelson's mother committed suicide. And there was no family to help. She didn't know how she was going to make it. So she went into the streets of New York City and began selling her body. At age 19, she tried to start a new life in Honolulu. But she kept working. Kept working the streets. Then, when she was in her early 50s, there were some Christians. Some people at Blue Water Mission who started talking to her. And they persuaded her to come work for us at sea. And she said she spent the first six months washing dishes because she wanted to be far away from what she called the good people. She didn't deserve to be with them. But after a lot of hard work and love from the people at church, Nelson said, I get to be the person I was never able to be. I get to help people without somebody trying to take advantage of me. And she noticed that what she made in a month at Seed, she could have made in one night on the streets. She had it all. She had new clothes, jewelry, travel, lived in nice places, but also there were times she suffered beatings, horrible assault. So much horror, she said, came with the price. And she said, you can't buy what I'm going through now. I never thought I'd be this person I am now. And here's the beautiful part. Even more. She went with her church on a trip to the Philippines. And the purpose of the trip was to reach out to streetwalkers. People who sold their bodies because they believed there was no hope to survive any other way. She told a reporter, I want those women to know there's hope. You can change. There are people out there who really want to help and you've got to believe, just like you went out there and took a chance on the streets, you've got to take a chance on this as well. Carla Herrera wrote the original article, a restaurant in Hawaii offers fresh start to former prostitutes, convicts, others who need a hand. What a great ministry. Folks, what I want you to understand, yes, we fail. We all mess up. But if we're willing to listen, if we're willing to understand that we have a God who can forgive, I believe 
we truly can discover God's purpose for our lives. Don't be afraid that He's going to say, I can't use you, you're filthy property. If you've confessed, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And I want to use you. Now there may be a shift in the direction of our life. You know, the very best thing that anybody in this room could do would be 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, all of your life obey the Lord. But sometimes our failures cause us to stumble and we can't quite do what we were meant to do. But God can remold us. Remold us into something, someone who will bring honor to His name. On your little bulletin, would you please write down Jeremiah 18? Because sometime this week, I want you to read, preferably today, Read one of my favorite chapters in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 18. And read what our majestic potter can do with a lump of clay that goes bad. We must seek to yield ourselves. God, I've asked you to cleanse me. And I now want to hear, I want to listen. What do you have for my life? We need to yield ourselves. So if we are willing to hear God's call, we are one step closer to becoming the people God wants us to be. But we have to do more than hear the call. We have to do more than just say, I'm listening, God. Because we need to be willing to say yes to the call. Thank you for that last little song we sang. And the first that you sang. The answer is yes, Lord. We need to be willing to say yes to His call. And I I need you to notice something directly from the book. There was no hesitation on Jonah's part to commit to God's call. Did you notice that? I want you to go to Nineveh. Okay. And he's off. Now, it may have taken him months to get there because if he was left at Joppa, he still had a long journey to go. But he went, and without any hesitation. Was he happy about the call? Not likely. We know that there was part of him that said, I know what's going to happen when I get there, God. But nevertheless, I am going to obey you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. He remained true to the prayer he prayed in chapter 2. I will keep my vow to the Lord. So at this point, Jonah was no longer ready to avoid God's call on his life. He fully intended to follow the call to go and give God's proclamation to Nineveh. Simply put, this prophet, who had been so full of pride, so full of hate, for the Ninevites, that he thought I could run away from God. And now, he has finally stopped fighting the will of God for his life. And here we are. Trying to hear. But I'm here to tell you, we cannot yield ourselves to fears of what might happen if we say yes. Because this is what holds a lot of people back. If I say yes, what is God going to make me do? 
It's kind of an odd phenomenon that happens when I speak to people about surrendering to God's will in their lives. And it doesn't matter. It cuts across all kinds of social strata, from people who have a lot of money to people who have virtually nothing, from people with great education to people who never made it through school, through, through different cultures, different races. A, a lot of different people, when I talk about surrendering to God, in one way or other, people are quite surrender, are quite certain, if I surrender my will to God, I'll be in trouble. I need to shrink back. Because it seems that people, and I'm here, I'm talking about people who are believers, who have put their faith in Christ, they have opened their hearts to the salvation of, of grace through faith, and yet they still have some sense of fear, if I really sell out to Jesus, He's going to make me miserable. I just know He's going to make me do something I hate to do. I just know He's going to do something I'm afraid to do. I know He's going to give me something I just don't want to do. So please, leave me alone. I'll be willing, I'll be the first to admit, there are aspects of the call of God in our lives that run contrary to my human nature. I'm just going to name three. and There are three that I'm pretty sure are universal for every child of God here. These are, the, these are the big things that we have trouble with. It is not my nature to turn the other cheek. It just isn't. Now God has mellowed me and God has given me a spirit where I, I can't find the ability to. But folks, there was a time in my life I waited. I waited for him for a chance to strike out. How about this one? Praying for and loving your enemies. One of the toughest things he asked us to do. And I am convinced when Jesus said, pray for your enemies, and you've heard me say this before, and I'll say it again. Jesus wasn't saying, pray, God, get them. Now, we want to pray that. That's what Jonah wants to pray for, the Ninevites. And then this one, denying myself. All those natural things I want in my life, I need to yield to Christ. So yes, God does call on us for some things that we may not like, just like Jonah. But keep this in mind. Everything God asks of us is meant for our good. Everything God asks for us is meant to make us more than we are now. And once committed to the will of God, with our hearts, our minds, many discover a joy to life that He evaded them their entire existence. How's that possible? How can I say yes, Lord, to whatever He says? And still hold on to hope. Very simply. Remembering who our God is should help us to trust His call. Remembering who God is should cause us to trust Him. And who is God? He is our Father. And He wants what is best for us. He is our Redeemer who has purchased our lives through the atoning work of Christ. 
And that happened because He loves us. He is our guide. The one who's promised, if you will trust in Me with all of your heart, I will make the path of life straight for you. When we remember these things, we realize we have nothing to fear in saying yes to God. Whatever He says, whatever He wants us to do, God will give us what we need to do it. And all along the way, He loves us and guides us and directs. He will enable us to do what seems impossible to our human nature. So, we need to be willing to hear, but that's not quite enough. We're willing to be able to say yes, and if we do say yes to God's will, we are again one step closer to becoming who we are meant to be. But folks, it's not even enough to just say yes to God. There's one final step that we must be willing to make. We need to follow through with our decision to obey. We need to follow through. Yes, Lord, I'll do it. And then do it. And again, when I look at Jonah, as frustrating as he is to me, because maybe I see a little bit more of Jonah in me than I would like to admit at times, Jonah actually entered the city and made his proclamation. Now, in chapter 4 we learn what Jonah really wanted was God to fulfill the destruction of Nineveh. And what we will discover in the rest of chapter 3 was not what he wanted to hear. Terence Fretheim pointed to the irony of the situation. I need you to really listen closely to these words because they're an indictment not only on Jonah, they're an indictment on much of what we call Christianity here in our nation. Jonah had just experienced the unmerited grace and goodness of God in his own life. Now he turns right around and makes it as difficult as possible for the Ninevites to experience God's deliverance. And he calls it a graceless message delivered by one living in the shadow of the experience of grace. How often have we thought, good, they got what they deserve. How often have we looked at the world and its sinfulness and like James and John brothers wanted to call down fire from heaven? How much have we not wanted to extend to others the grace that God has extended to us? Jonah wasn't ready. He wasn't completely sold on what God was going to do. But nevertheless, he followed through with the pledge. He entered Nineveh to proclaim the word of the Lord. Now, I've been dealing with controversial issues in the book from the very beginning. And one more controversial element of the story, our text describes Nineveh as a great city that would take three days to cover. Now, we know for absolute certain that Nineveh in the 8th century wasn't 
that large. It was a big city. But it was not a big city that would take three days to go from one end to the other. Now, there have been a couple of explanations, both of which ring true. One, we know elsewhere in the Old Testament, Nineveh is kind of lumped in with all of the little towns and villages around, and they're all referred to as a great city. If any of you have been to Dallas, you know that phrase, the Metroplex. You are driving throughout the city of Dallas and you know, have no idea when you went into Nick Richardson or Plano. Folks, we even experience it here. I live off of DeBee's Road. If I'm on the east side of the road, I'm in Gulfport. On the west side, I'm in Biloxi. And I will tell you, I like Gulfport's traffic signal system much better than Biloxi's. I like those sensors. So it may be that the writer had intended the entire area. But I find a, a more compelling understanding. Gleason Archer, in his survey of the Old Testament, pointed out the text doesn't actually say it took Jonah three days to walk through Nineveh. It only says that it took three days for him to cover Nineveh. You see, Jonah was essentially a street preacher. And we got a, a friend of mine here today, James, right over here, who can tell you a little bit about street preaching, can't you, brother? All right. Street corner preaching is different from what I'm doing up here. Because theoretically, you're here. And as I really make you mad, you're not going to walk away on the street. You've got whatever amount of time to talk to people. And you want to give the best explanation of the gospel. You want them to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You want them to know. So you're going to spend time on that corner trying to draw the crowd in and get them engaged. And then you go on to another street in the city. And you go on to another. And you go on to another. And that's what Jonah is doing. If chapter 4, verse 11, which mentions 120,000 who do not know their left from their right, most scholars believe that God is actually talking about babies. The city that has 120,000 babies, its population may be 600,000. Jonah wants to make sure as many people as can possibly hear the message God has to hear it. So he's going all throughout the city. And it took him three days to hit every preaching point that he was at to share the word. Forty days and your city will be overturned. Jonah did, it was not where he should be in his attitude, but he kept his word before the Lord. Now there are others who say, well, a, a prophet from Israel couldn't have spoken to people in Nineveh. They speak different languages. But guess what? In the 8th century, there was a language known as Aramaic that was used pretty much throughout the Fertile Crescent. It was a, a, a language of the people so that folks could communicate because this was a place of much travel. So he would have been able to, to read and, and tell them the story and there would be people who could have understood it. Now there's one other thing and it's that phrase overturned. 
Forty days and the city will be overturned. It's a vague word. And it has two possible meanings. One, 40 days in the city will be absolutely destroyed. 40 days in the city will be turned, will be changed. So again, perhaps a word of hope for what God actually did in Nineveh. And maybe God had Jonah use a vague term. So what does this have to do with us, folks? And here it gets a little painful. Promises made, then ignored, will lead us further away from our purpose. Promises made, then and then ignored. I, I make a pledge to God on a Sunday morning, and before the day is over, I've already broken the vow. Uh, you you are given complete permission to say it out loud because I'm pretty sure most of you will know the answer to this question. Tell me. What is a half-truth? It's a whole lie. If I tell you a portion of the truth, but I hold something back that's important, I don't want you to know the whole truth, do I? Now, sometimes our vows to God are half-truths. What do I mean by that? It's very easy to get caught up in the emotion of a moment and promise all manners of things to God. Remember Peter. Everybody else may desert you, but not me, Lord. How many of you have ever been to children's camp or youth camp, either as a sponsor or a camper? Okay, several of you. Several of you know exactly what I'm going to be talking about. You get children and youth together for a week, somewhere off in the wilderness, or as close to the wilderness as you can get. They're hit with Bible studies. They're hit with discussions. They have prayer groups in their own teams, and all week long they're being exposed to, to Jesus Christ, to God, and it's, it's, it's a lot of exciting music, a lot of wonderful, and, and then pretty much almost every camp I've ever heard of, Thursday night is the gospel presentation. Thursday night, the preacher's going to tell you how to get saved. And on Thursday night, they give an altar call. And tons of kids come down. I want to be saved. Now some of it's absolutely real. Some of my preacher friends were saved at camp. But there are some people who've gone to camp who walked that aisle on Thursday night because their friends were dragging them down the aisle. I'm going to get you saved one way or the other. And some of those have come to understand later in their life, I don't know the Lord. I didn't know what I was doing. So there, it's easy to see we get caught up in the emotion. A call is made for a public declaration. We get caught up. We make that declaration. But we don't really mean it. And that's why there is an explicit warning against rash vows to God. Now, you would expect this to be in the book of Proverbs, a book of wisdom literature, maybe the book of Psalms, maybe even in some of the teachings of Jesus Himself. But this warning about rash promises to God is found in all places, Ecclesiastes. Not the happiest book in the Bible to read. But listen to what he said, Ecclesiastes 5.2. Do not be quick with your mouth. 
That alone is going to get us in trouble. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. So when God is convicting us of a course for our life, when God is calling us into whatever He asks, we need to be careful. We need to follow the advice of Jesus Christ. In Luke 14, he's talking to a group of people who said, we want to be your followers. And he said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? And what, my friends, is the cost of following Jesus? Matthew 16, 24 and 25 said, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life We'll lose it, but whoever loses his life, for me, will find it. My friends, I am not trying to talk you out of a commitment to God here. I'm not asking you to ignore the call of God in your life because you might fail. I'm not asking you for one moment to say, maybe I should say no to God. What I am wanting you to see, what I am praying that you will see very clearly, the only way possible that we can make a commitment before God Almighty and that commitment can be held up. There's only one way it's going to happen. For our vows to be something other than a rash promise to God. What is it? We can be true to our call in the grace and strength Jonah actually had to trust God to make a way for him in Nineveh. Just think about it. His very first day, his very first message to a group of Ninevites, you have 40 days and then you're going to be destroyed by God. You think there might have been somebody there who might want to kill him? You think there might have been somebody there who might want to stone him, beat him up, throw him in jail, lock him away where he can never be hurt again? Jonah had to trust, okay, God, I'm going to do what you called me to do, but I'm going to need your strength and your help to get me to do it. And we must learn to trust that God can enable us to do whatever He calls us to do. Now I want you to remember that response of reading again. I pointed out that these are but a few of the calls of God. Some are universal for all believers. Some may be for special particular people at a particular time. But with God leading the way, each one of us here, each one of us can be obedient to our God and King. For He is the one who enables us. He is the one who gifts us. He is the one who guides us. He is the one who strengthens us. Whatever God is calling you to do, everyone within the sound of my voice, those of you who are here today, those of you who are watching online across the world in the Philippines at Grace Baptist, Everyone who can hear my voice today, like Jonah, has a call. Now it may be, your call may be to support a mission child. Either through a group like Compassion International, where they get help and they get the gospel, or through Grace Baptist Ministries in the Philippines and their mission work with their kids. You may have a call to witness to your next door neighbor which can be hard. 
Maybe even harder, you have a call to witness to your brother or your sister or your parent. You may have a call to go on a mission trip. Brother Dana, I just believe there's something I need to go do somewhere, whether it's up in the delta of Mississippi or it's in the Philippines or it's in... I know a lot of you want to call to a mission trip in Hawaii. But wherever it might be, you may be sensing, I need to go to the uttermost parts of the world share my faith. Your call may be to pray for the body of Christ around the world. Every day, you just have your world globe and you just start going through all the different areas that are Christians, where there are Christians, and particularly Christians being under persecution. The list goes on. Praying for the leadership in this congregation. Maybe your call is to be an encourager. I can tell you after 40 plus, getting close to 50 years of ministry, without encouragers in my life, I don't know if I could have gone on. But everyone here has a part in God's purpose. If you know Christ. So now we have a choice today. We can be true to the call. We have a choice. The exact same choice as Jonah. God is saying, I want you to serve me wherever. Charles Spurgeon used to say, get your piece of blank paper, sign your name at the bottom, hand it over to God and say, fill in the rest. And that may be your call. Yes, Lord. Whatever you want from me today, yes. And help me not to run when you finally tell me. Like I say, I love who shall I call and who will go for us? I say, here I am, send me. And then God tells him what he's calling him to do. You will preach and preach and preach and no one will ever listen. And Noah didn't say, okay, uh, wait a minute. Uh, You didn't tell me the fine print. He followed God. And I've told you on more than one occasion, I've uh, told God, at least you warned Isaiah. Yes, Lord, here am I, send me. At the first of the message, I told you that we each have a call to yield ourselves to the purpose of God. And today I'm asking you, will you make that commitment? It's true. You may not know what it means or where God's will will ultimately lead you. But are you willing to trust your Father in Heaven, and commit today to keep your vow before the Lord. Are you willing?